Welcome, everyone. My name is Peter Hackett. I am the Global Program Director for Cypher. In today's podcast, we are going to provide insight into the ongoing cybersecurity incident that has caught the attention of information security professionals from across the world. This episode is part of a series of podcasts, which we publish and is intended to educate the public about various cybersecurity topics, as well as highlight key capabilities of our company. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I encourage you to subscribe so that you will automatically be notified when we publish future content. With me today is my colleague, Scott Krosky, the Global Chief Information Security Officer for Cypher. Both Scott and I come to you today from Long Island, New York. Scott, how are you today? I'm good, Pete. And you? Doing well, Scott. Just uh, looking forward to the uh, to the holidays and, uh, and to uh, the new year. Me too. So, Scott, um, 2020, as you know, and, and most of our listeners uh, know, has certainly been a year for the history books. And at the beginning of the year, the world saw a global pandemic that has reshaped the way we live and work. And now as we close out the year, there has been a revelation that an organization, supposedly a nation state, has potentially gained access to over 18,000 companies through a highly sophisticated supply chain attack. And some are calling it potentially the biggest intrusion in our history with an apparent focus on cyber espionage. And according to the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, the threat actor has the resources, patience, and expertise to resist eviction from a compromised network and continue to hold uh, affected organizations at risk. And while there are many different conversations that we can have on this topic, I'd like to focus our conversation today on two primary areas. The first part of the conversation will focus on the possible driving factors as to why this activity has occurred. And the second and more technically relevant of today's conversation will focus on what organizations should do as they assess and respond to this situation. With that said, let's kick off our discussion today with possible driving factors. What do you believe is going on here and what could this possibly be? Well, Pete, first off, uh, great introduction and I'd be happy to share my thoughts as to what's potentially going on here. Uh, Let's look at the facts of the situation. First and foremost is the SolarWinds Orion software, uh, which was identified as the source of this sophisticated supply chain attack. A number of organizations have publicly stated that this supply chain attack was used to gain access to their networks and FireEye being the first on December 10th and many other private sector companies quickly followed. So Belkin, Cisco, Intel, NVIDIA, uh, Microsoft and VMware in particular. And additionally to those private companies, we have U.S. government agencies that have publicly stated that they have been breached in this regard. So departments such as Department of Commerce, Homeland Security, State, Treasury, and Energy Departments, uh, as well as the National Institute of Health. Also, um, there's a heat map that was recently published by Microsoft that shows the location, the geographical location of at least 40 organizations that Microsoft has identified as been being exploited via this second stage attack uh, as part of the SolarWinds supply chain attack. So it clearly paints a picture that Western nations and corporations were targeted. And the overwhelming majority of victims are in the Northeast United States. So, you know, New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Washington, DC, and then other major US cities such as Chicago, Charlotte, Houston, Austin, Los Angeles, and Sa- uh, San Francisco and Seattle. And also in Europe, we see victim organizations in the United Kingdom and Israel, among others. And then let's also take a look at the timeline. So according to FireEye's CEO on a recent episode, Episode of CBS's Face the Nation, the SolarWinds Orion code was altered uh, in 2019 of excuse me October 2019, uh, but that backdoor wasn't officially added to the production code until March of 2020. So sources indicate that last October's effort appeared to be quote a dry run, uh, adding that the attacker's caution suggested they were a little bit more disciplined and deliberate than an average attacker. 
So we clearly have an advanced threat actor here that is well-organized and well-funded. And there are really only two types of organizations that have this level of sophistication. You have cyber criminal groups and nation states. And in the case of cyber criminal groups, their main motivation is to profit and steal money. Uh, we don't see that happening here, though. There's no ransoms. There's no scams or threats in this regard. So one would have to reasonably rule out a cyber criminal group. Uh, and that leaves nation state actor. So if you look at known victims, they're primarily organizations in the United States and United Kingdom. And finally, um, to kind of put the cherry on the top, just the other day, the U.S. Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, said, um, quoting, uh, we have pretty much clearly, it's pretty clearly that the Russian uh, government is involved. So Pete, obviously, I think the objective here of this threat actor uh, is to conduct cyber, uh, excuse me, cyber espionage activities. Yeah, it's pretty incredible, Scott. Uh, it sounds like something out of a spy movie. So, <laughs> okay, so let's turn our attention now to the bulk of the conversation today. So what exactly exactly happened here in this supply chain attack and what does it even mean? So basically what happened was that this threat actor broke into the SolarWinds network sometime last year and implanted a backdoor in the Orion network monitoring software program built by the Texas-based uh, SolarWinds. So essentially they altered the source code to allow the threat actor group to use it to covertly gain initial access into any network that downloaded this update. So unbeknownst to the Orion code developers, uh, they published this malicious code uh, in addition with their own code during their next scheduled version of the software update, and then they digitally signed it as authentic, telling the SolarWinds systems to trust it, um, the software, and then go ahead and install it. So this happened in March of 2020, uh, and the software patch you know, subsequently was pushed out, as we had said before, to about 18,000 of the firm's customers. And what exactly is SolarWinds Orion, and why do you think it was selected to be more or less a modern-day Trojan horse for this larger cyber espionage campaign? Uh, good question, Pete. So, so what is SolarWinds? Well, SolarWinds Orion is an enterprise network management software suite. Uh, it includes, per, you know, the ability to provide performance, application monitoring, and network management tools. So, it's primarily used by IT administrators to manage all of the various systems and servers that they have to take care of on a computer network. So, in order to provide SolarWinds uh, Orion the software with the necessary visibility into an organization's diverse set of technologies, it's common for network administrators to configure SolarWinds with elevated privileges. Uh, so basically the keys to the kingdom are given to this program. Uh, and because of the number of organizations that use this program uh, and considering that it, it given nearly full access to manage a computer network, it's a valuable platform uh, for an adversary to trojanize. And Scott, so what, what, what was this so-called backdoor that was implanted into the SolarWinds software update and how did it bypass detection by victim organizations? So what happened was the threat actor um, added a malicious version of a DLL binary into the SolarWinds software uh, lifecycle, which was then signed, as I said before, by legitimate SolarWinds code. Um, and this signature allowed for the malicious version to be trusted by companies' software uh, that it was, in fact, authentic and that it did come from SolarWinds, so it should be trusted. Uh, once installed, this binary um, calls out to a domain on the internet using a protocol that's designed to mimic legitimate SolarWinds protocol traffic. So according to the Department of Homeland Security technical advisories, uh, after the malicious programs conducts this initial check-in or beacon when installed on a network, the adversary would then use that DNS or the domain name response to selectively send back, you know, new, basically program new domains or IP addresses for subsequent command and control activity. So it would beacon out initially to one domain on the internet and based on where you're coming from, it would then provide um, organizations to just say, okay, here's, you know, talk to me in, on, these, on, these, um, on these systems instead of this initial domain. Consequently, 
organizations that observe traffic from their SolarWinds Orion's devices to that initial domain, um, which in this case is avsvmcloud.com. Um, well, those, organi those organizations should not immediately conclude that, they're, uh, that, that they've been breached. Uh, it just means that they've installed the backdoor, but that backdoor may not actually have been used by the threat actors. So instead, additional investigation is needed into whether the SolarWinds Orion device uh, engaged in further unexplained communication. So if additional um, if additional CNAME resolutions associated with that um, avsvmcloud.com domain are observed, then possible additional adversary action uh, was leveraged and in in that backdoor was used. Sounds somewhat complicated, Scott. So especially if uh, I'm managing the IT infrastructure for an organization, how should organizations evaluate risk in this situation? Uh, so if your organization uses SolarWinds Orion products, you can quickly categorize your risk into three main areas. Uh, also note that if you have a managed service provider or third party that's providing your IT services, you should also ask them if they use SolarWinds Orion. Um, their answer may have an impact on your environment. So let's do category one. Category one is the lowest risk category. This includes organizations who did not install the malicious version. Um, and at this point, if you don't, if you didn't install the malicious version, which are readily available on the SolarWinds site, um, you fall into this category and you can continue to patch your SolarWinds systems and resume um, your operations consistent with your, your standard risk evaluation processes. Uh, then next you have category two, which includes those organizations that have identified the presence of the malicious version, um, whether it did or didn't beacon out to that initial command and control domain. So companies with this malicious version, um, you know, basically they, they may or may not be at risk. Um, so what they should do is, is completely remove the device, reinstall with a trusted software version, and then conduct further threat uh, hunting activity to determine if they had, did have subsequent um, follow-on uh, breach activity. And then that leads us to kind of category three, which is the highest risk category where um, you did download the malicious software, you did detect the, the initial beaconing, and you did detect subsequent secondary command and control activity um, to separate domains or IP addresses. And, and this, um, basically, you should assume that your environment Environment has been compromised and immediately conduct incident response procedures. So how exactly does an organization determine if they are category two versus category three? Uh, through threat hunting. Uh, there are a number of ways to go about this and CISA, which is um, uh, the Department of Homeland Security, has a very good guidance on how to do so. So first and foremost, uh, you have to investigate the SolarWinds instance. So Department of Homeland Security has provided instructions and what they issued was uh, Emergency Directive 21-TAC-01, uh, which was issued for U.S. government agencies to follow, but it's publicly available for any organization to view the specific instructions. So it involves conducting digital forensic activities to include analysis of system memory uh, and the host operating systems that uh, that hosted that infected uh, version of SolarWinds. And as discussed earlier, it was also um, hunting activity around network traffic. So look at you know DNS requests around the time that it was installed. Um, there are also hardening activities that were recommended um, in the form of disabling certain certain legacy encryption protocols, uh, as well as a few other Microsoft recommendations on remediating certain abuse protocols, uh, such as Kerberos. Scott, you mentioned there are other ways as well. Uh, we've spoken about the MITRE attack framework in past episodes. How can an organization leverage this framework to conduct threat hunting? Uh, great observation, Pete. So it's true that the MITRE ATT&CK framework can be used to conduct threat hunting in uh, this situation. So in the Department of Homeland Security Advisory, 
it notes that for victim organizations um, that, that, that had this threat actor use this backdoor to gain access into their environment, a number of subsequent techniques were used. So specifically, the threat actor used that backdoor to create new accounts and establish persistence mechanisms, such as elevating those new accounts into privileged status, uh, scheduling new tasks and jobs, and even establishing new processes. And all of these techniques are detailed thoroughly in the MITRE attack framework. So for, for our viewers that are, are technically inclined, uh, I'm talking specifically about a couple technique IDs. So ID number you know 1136, which is account creation, 1078, which is account elevation, uh, 1053, which is scheduled task or job, and 1543, which is create and modify system processes. So if you look at those attack <clears throat> techniques in the attack framework, um, it indicates that you can detect this activity through analysis of window event logs. So assuming that your environment has a security information event management or SIM um, set up to ingest these logs, you can pull reports to detect this type of activity. So the information technology department uh, will need to then review those reports and determine if the activity observed is legitimate or not. And uh, illegitimate activity may indicate that you have an issue. We've also seen reports that this threat actor has attacked organizations through cloud-based techniques. Can you elaborate more on this topic? Um, Pete, I think you're talking about the SAML abuse, uh, also referred to as the golden SAML attack, correct? Mm -hmm. That's right. Cypher's received many questions from our customers in this regard. So what exactly is this? So both the National Security Agency and Department of Homeland Security have released advisories on this topic. Basically, it's another initial access vector into cloud environments that this threat actor has used, um, which is separate from initially attacking organizations through the SolarWinds supply chain attack. So it's not exactly related to the SolarWinds supply chain attack, um, but it could be used if the adversary did in fact choose to target an organization's cloud environment. So what happens here is that the uh, security assertion markup language or SAML um, signing certificate is compromised. So Department of Homeland Security explains that you know once this is accomplished, the adversary basically creates unauthorized but valid tokens and presents them to services that trust SAML tokens for the environment. So these tokens can be used um, to gain access to resources in hosted environments such as email. Um, they can be used for data exfiltration um, uh, via authorized application, pro uh, application programming interfaces or APIs. So although in order to successfully leverage this golden SAML, uh, an attacker must first have to gain administrative access uh, to the ADFS server and extract the necessary certificate and private key. So it's a little bit more complicated, but this threat actor can do it. So once, if, if accomplished, the adversary then has full unauthorized access to virtually any cloud environment of the victim organization, such as AWS or Office 365. And I'm assuming there is detailed guidance for cyber defenders on how to detect and mitigate this attack vector? Yes. Uh, so check out the NSA and, and Department of Homeland Security websites for the specifics around uh, this attack technique and how to detect it. Well, Scott, thank you for your time. This has been very informative, and we hope our listeners walked away today with some valuable information. And for any of our listeners who are interested in Cypher services or would like to further discuss this topic, please reach out to us via our marketing department, which can be reached at marketing at cypher.com. Also, if you like today's podcast, please subscribe so that you can automatically be notified when we publish our next episode.